0: today's episode is sponsored by our premium wix templates if you're totally stumped on how to build your own website but can't afford to hire a designer that does not mean that you should skip out on the important things in the process like professional design sales formula copywriting and search engine optimization our premium wix website templates are created with marketing and sales in mind. And the best part is that you can have a professional-looking and functional website in just under 24 hours. Our website templates are completely stress-free. They're easy to use, so that means no Photoshop or coding required. They are designed to convert based on our signature homepage formula. And they are ready to launch as soon as you are done designing so if you want to check this out get it at mbmagency.com forward slash shop and use the discount code mindset to get 30 percent off hey friends i hope you are doing well today i wanted to talk about is the four hour work week possible now if you are Anyone in business, if you've been in business in the industry for even a little bit, I am sure you've heard of Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour Work Week, which is basically a book talking about his journey in developing a 4-Hour Work Week. In his book, he teaches how he went from a $40,000 per year salary, where he worked 80 hours per week. And then he went from that to making $40,000 per month and working only four hours per week. In the book, he also talks about how to outsource your life to oversee virtual assistance for five hours or $5 per hour to do whatever you want. He also talks about how to eliminate 50% of your work in 48 hours using the principles about a forgotten Italian economist and much, much more. And I read this book in the beginning of my business And I gotta say, reading it now, it's, I have a whole different view about it because when you, when I first started, I was a freelancer, first of all. So it was really hard to kind of grasp the concept of a lot of what he was saying, but I will say reading this book and him talking about outsourcing is what inspired me to hire my very first person. Now, he recommends hiring overseas virtual assistants because you can pay them literally $3 an hour, $5 an hour. So it's super, super affordable. I, instead of doing that, I hired my first person who was local to me, Um, you know, because I don't know, overseas, to me that was scary. You never know what you're gonna get. Although he talks about different um, agencies and stuff like that that you can work with. So I will say, reading it in the beginning of my business definitely inspired me to hire my first person because I kind of grasped the concept of like, okay, what outsourcing would look like. But everything else that he was saying, it was so hard for me because I wasn't in business long enough. I didn't have the systems in place. I didn't have enough experience to kind of know what I liked working with, what I didn't like working with, what were my stressors, all of that. Because in the beginning, let's be honest, everything was a stressor. Um, I, you know, being new in business, meeting new clients all the time, I feel like I was always Not on edge, but you know, you want people to be happy. Everything is so new to you, everything is a new experience. You're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to expect. Now I know what to expect. I know what to expect from clients. I've worked with enough people enough times to see like an average of things that's going on, see what kind of people we work best with, see what kind of people cause me the most headaches, things like that. So I'm rereading this book currently. And it is good. It is so good. I definitely highly, highly recommend it. But definitely reading it now, um, now two years officially deep into my business where I wasn't doing it like as a side hustle, Um, now two years of doing it full time, reading it again is like, okay, now it makes... A lot of sense. So I kind of wanted to go over some of my notes and some of my things that I've been focusing on from reading this book and kind of sharing with you how it's been helping me in my business to kind of gain my time back. So the goal he talks about in one of his chapters, and I believe this is a main goal that he talks about in most of the book, is the goal as your business owner is to decrease the amount of work you perform while increasing your revenue. Sounds easy, but also could be difficult, right? Sounds easy in theory, but when you're actually out there doing it, you're like, how the heck? Am I supposed to do this? Because, for instance, last year, I was increasing revenue every single month, but I was also working literally 24-7, where this year I was like, I cannot be doing that because I constantly was getting burnt out. I wasn't having time for my family or things that I wanted to do. I was just obsessed with business, obsessed with growing, which I think was fine for a season, but right now I'm in a season where I really want to find that balance or that harmony to be able to grow this, to be able to do this, but then also to enjoy time with my family, with my kid. Like, you know what I mean? Not be working 24-7. So to me right now in the season of life that I'm in, this was super, super interesting because that's what I want to do. I want to decrease the amount of time I'm working, but I want my revenue to increase. So he talks about the famous, um, what is this called? In the back of his book he describes it as let's see how to eliminate 50 percent of your work in 48 hours using the principles of a forgotten italian economist so let's talk about the these principles so i may totally butcher some of these names but in the book tim talks about uh, vilfredo parateo who was a willy and controversial economist who lived from 1848 to 1923. And in his work, he talks about, and it became known as Pareto's Law, or the Pareto distribution. And in the last decade, it's also popularly known as the 80-20 principle. So this mathematical formula he uses to demonstrate That an uneven but predictable distribution, distribution, gosh, I can't talk, (laughs) distribution of wealth in society, 80% of wealth and income was produced and possessed by 20% of the population. And this also applies outside of of economics, right? So for example, 80% of results in our business come from 20% of effort and time. 80% of our company profits come from 20% of the products and clients. So when you look at it that way, that's kind of crazy. It's like, if only 20% of my effort and time brings 80% of results, it's like, why spend my time wasting the other 80% of my effort and time on things that don't work, right? If only 20% Of or 80% of our company profits come from 20% of clients and products. Why focus on selling and, you know, focus on your energy selling and launching and signing on people for the products and clients that barely make an income for your company, that barely move the needle? Why not focus on the 20% of the products and clients that bring you money? Why not focus on the things that bring you money, right? Of, of your time, things that you're focusing on your time. If only 20% of your sales strategies or whatever you're doing is bringing 80% of the income, why not focus on that? And what I'm getting from this is, as I'm kind of skimming through the book now, is as the business owners, if we want to continue to grow our companies, we need to be sure that our time and our effort And what we're doing for our company is not wasted, okay? So I have a team that I trust and they do things very, very well. But then there's some things that I need to let go and I need to let them do it. And I need to free up my time so that I'm maximizing my time to the best of my ability. My time, I need to be selling. I need to be doing tasks and activities that are growing my business. I need to be making money making activities, right? That's what I need to be doing. I need to be selling. I need to be building authority. I need to be focusing on that. But to do that, I needed to free up my time because I was still very, very involved in all of our projects. So I needed to take a step back, and I started taking a step back, and I had to ask myself these questions. What are the characteristics of my top five customers? The best people we've got to work with, you know, who made us the happiest? Who did we love to work with? Who loved working with us? What were their characteristics? What were the things in common? What kind of platforms were they on? What kind of understanding did they have in marketing? What were those characteristics? I had to write those down. I had to really think about them. And I realized, you know, there was a certain character that we meshed really, really well with and they were the happiest. So I need to be focusing on selling to those people. And then I had to think about what type of clients have given me the most headaches? What clients have given me the most anxiety? What was in common with them? Why did they give me anxiety? Was it them? Was it a certain platform that they worked with? Did something go wrong in the process, right? So I had to identify these things and kind of see like, was it a certain client? Was it a certain platform? Did we have holes in our process that we needed to fix? And I saw some holes we needed to fix in our process to make our client experience better. I saw that, yes, there are certain people, they have a, you know, certain understanding of marketing, a certain way of thinking that we did not mesh well with. There's certain platforms that have, that have caused more problems than others, right? That have given me the most anxiety and the most headaches where I'm like, I you know, the the amount that this project was worth is not worth my this headache is not worth this anxiety. So I had to write those down and identify those so that when I'm on a sales call next and I see these red flags, I'm going to save myself the anxiety and be like, you know what? I don't think we're going to be the best fit for you because X, Y, and Z. I also had to relook at my schedule and I had to look at what am I doing on a weekly basis that I could have outsourced? And instead, I could have used that time for money-making activities, you know? So I had to do that and I started doing that in about February, March. At the end of every week, I would look back and I would see what did I do that I could have outsourced? And it was simple things like I, you know, it would have just been faster if I did it because I would have to train on this thing and all the things. But you know what? That time was taking away from when I could have been selling, when I could have been building authority for the company. So instead, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the next month or two and I'm going to take these tasks and I'm going to create a video tutorial for the girls that work with me so that next time... They're going to be able to get trained and they're going to be able to do this and take responsibility, take the authority and the tasks, and they're going to be responsible for doing that. So I started doing that and that's been working very, very well the last couple of months. And with that, as the business owner, like I said, I need to be focusing on what's going to be building my business. So then I identified the critical tasks that contribute the most two-hour income, and I started scheduling them with very clear and short deadlines, right? So I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this thing uh, a month from now. I'm like, no, this is what's going to get us money right now. I need to do it right now, right? So I started prioritizing different things in my schedule. I started outsourcing more, even though it's like I already had a team. I was already outsourcing, but I really looked at my schedule and I was doing so many things, That could have been easily outsourced and I could have spent my time, again, on building the business. Then another thing that I kind of sat down and I asked myself again is, in the last year, where was the majority of my work? Where did it come from? Was it referrals? Was it the podcast? Was it Instagram? Right? So then I sat down, I asked myself these questions, I identified these people, these tasks Um, You know, where money was coming from. And then I needed to do, and I needed to define a to do list and a not to do list. Because let's be real, as a business owner, like I don't know about you, but I feel like for the last year and a half, I've been just constantly grinding, constantly building my business, building our clientele, building the stuff, which is fine and is great and is what is needed, but while you're doing that, while you're dealing with different people, while you're dealing with different types of projects and clients, like, I feel like I was always on edge, always anxious, always making sure that people are happy, and I'm the type of person that, like, I care so much about my clients and their happiness and making sure that everything is going well for them, that if there's, like, um, kink or something I'm like freaking out like I just feel it to my core I can't stop thinking about it I could get anxiety I am a business owner who truly truly cares I'm not just like oh whatever I don't care you know it happens like I truly truly care so sometimes that is good for my clients but sometimes that is bad for my mental health so I also had to see um that 20% of sources were causing 80% of my problems and an unhappiness. So I had to really think about what 20 sources are result or sorry, then I had to also think about what 20% of sources are resulting in 80% of my desired outcome and happiness, if that makes sense. So I really had to identify what was giving me anxiety, what was making me frustrated, what was just not worth it. And then I put that on my not to-do list, right? When you're on a sales call and I start hearing these things, or I start seeing these things, or this is part of the the project outline, and I know that this is just going to give me anxiety. I'm going to say no because it's just not worth it. And instead, I'm going to be focusing on the things that I know are going to make us happy. going to make my team happy, going to make the clients happy. It's going to be an overall amazing experience for every single person. And I'm just going to focus on that. And then kind of going back to outsourcing and kind of giving my team more to do, I had to go back and be like, okay, um, what are the top three activities that I used to fill my time with to feel like I'm productive? Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you just like, it's not the most important thing to do right now, but you're just doing it just to do it. Like, I don't know. It sounds so stupid, but I know you know what I'm talking about. So I had to fill out, what are the activities that I'm doing that, like I said, like I said, like I had to go back every single week and, you know, what was I doing that could have been outsourced? That is not important if I do it. I could easily teach my my team to do it. They're taking care of our clients already. They're talking to clients. I need to be able to empower them more and to grow them more, grow them in their career and their journey And But I need to let go and let them do it, right? And I was just so scared because I remember thinking like, oh, well, what if they don't know how to do this? What if they don't get it? But you know what? They surprised me. I mean, this sounds bad, but like I knew they were going to do it well, but I was just like, well, what if, you know, they have a question? What if that? But you know what? It ended up working perfectly. And I was like, why did I not do this sooner? I could have saved myself a lot of headache. So... Obviously, one of the main things about having a four-hour work week is outsourcing. So that's kind of my main point with that is outsourcing. Outsource what you can. Build up your team. It's going to make it so much easier for you. So outsourcing what you can to the team and making sure that you as the business owner are focusing on your money-making activities. But something else that contributes to a four-hour work week or not are different time wasters one of the biggest time wasters is checking your email and i didn't realize how bad i was until i started reading this chapter i would check my email all the time all the time like a crazy person i would wake up first thing i would do is check my email when i'm going to sleep the last thing i do is check my email why I don't know. It's not like I'm going to be responding to those emails right then anyway, but I was just constantly wanted to be updated. If clients sent anything, I just constantly wanted to be in the know, but that kind of is a huge time waster. And plus like, it's just not healthy to be consistently working like that and constantly thinking about work. I am definitely realizing a lot right now how important it is to take the time off so he had kind of an interesting challenge which reading the chapter was like there's no way I'm going to be able to do this but I started incorporating this and I'm kind of loving it right now so he said "Um, check your email only twice per day and never check email first thing in the morning And instead, complete your most important task before 11 a.m. Now, I've talked about this on the podcast before, is that I recommend completing your hardest projects first in the beginning of the day. And it's going to make your day go by so much better. But I loved his little twist, is complete your hardest project first. Before checking your email and that makes so much sense because sometimes i'll sit down and start working on something And then I get an email pop in i'll get distracted I feel like I have to read what the client says. I have to respond to the, what they say So I I get distracted So instead of what I started doing recently and I, I gotta admit i'm still learning to not check my email first thing in the morning But i've been doing this quite a few days and it's been awesome. I get up. I do my morning devotional I go into my office and I do the hardest project first, that project that you're, you know, just like so nervous to do, you feel like it's going to take forever and then you start doing it, you get in the groove and you're like, oh my gosh, that was so fast, what was I freaking out about? And then you check your email at 11 and you know what, like there, you know, nothing happened, you're fine, you checking your email in the morning, nothing happened, everything is fine, and I already got my hardest project out of the way. So now it feels like the rest of the day is going to be a breeze. So, you know, if you haven't done this before, if you're an avid email checker, if your team and your um, clients expect you to be on 24-7, you may have to do like an auto-response email in the beginning to let them know, like, hey, you know, due to a high workload, I'm currently checking my emails only twice a day at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern or whatever um, to kind of get people into the thing. But I kind of just started doing it without telling people. But um, and everything was fine. I started checking it at, you know, like 1130, 12 p.m. and then again once at 4 p.m. And everything is fine in my mind and my time. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel, like such a, it's such a f- breath of fresh air. My head feels so clear and it's just so, so important, you guys, to have your work time but then also to have your off time and not think about work on your off time, not check your email on your off time. It makes a huge, huge difference. And then to kind of end this episode off, um, I'm going to talk about kind of what he talks about in the book and then kind of what I started doing as well is I started kind of seeing what I can do weekly and on a daily level. So on a weekly macro level and on a daily micro level. So on a weekly weekly level to make sure I am, you know, not overworking myself, getting as close as the four hour work week as I can, is this is what he recommended. Take Monday and or Friday off. Now for me, it's been hard to do that. Um, I feel like I'm going to eventually try to work my way into that. But I will say I've been keeping Mondays very light and Fridays only admin very light stuff. Um, He recommends stop working by 4 p.m., which I've been trying to do, especially with having Theo home. I've been trying to just get as much as I can done before 3 or 4. So then afterwards, um, I can just spend my time with him. Um, And then something that I wanted to do is add in a daily walk in the afternoons, which I've been doing with Theo and Sage has been so much fun, but it kind of gives you like a little refresher and a little breather in the middle of your work day. Um, and then the last thing on a weekly macro level is don't work on the weekends. And this is so, so important for me. Um, I started doing this last year. And again, I've had some weekends where I had to work a little bit because, you know, certain things pop up and I do not miss my deadlines, um, so sometimes I had to work on weekends, but I'm going to try my best to not work on weekends, and I've noticed when I do that, I come back on Monday refreshed, re-energized, just, like, ready with ideas and passion to work, um, versus when I would work on the weekends all the time, too. I quickly, quickly led to burnout, and on a daily micro level, um, so, Some of this might have been in the book, but then some of this I kind of incorporated this for myself. So on a daily micro level, I limited items on each day's to-do list to only three main tasks per day Um, because sometimes I like... You know, had a bunch of stuff done, I would overbook myself, overwork myself, and I would just have so many tasks to get done each day. And I'm that person, like, if I have it on my list, I'm going to get it done. But sometimes it just took forever. And I'm also learning, I gotta say, to just like not overbook ourselves. But on a daily micro level, I limit each, um, each day's to-do list to a list of three main tasks per day. And I use a timer and put my phone on airplane mode to focus on the task at hand, especially that first hardest task in the morning that I want to get done before 11 a.m. I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode. I'm not going to be bothered. I'm just going to get in the zone and get it done until, you know, it hits 11 o'clock and I'm like, damn, I'm already done. I already got like a little, little to-do list left. And then also limit my email checking because that kind of took up a lot of time per day. So I'm going to challenge you. What can you start doing today to help lighten your work week? Can you have the beginning of Monday off or have a light workload on Mondays? Can you start taking Fridays off after 3 p.m.? Can you limit three work tasks per day? Can you limit your email checking? Can you do the hardest and most important tasks of the day first? Can you challenge yourself to stop working by 4 p.m.? Can you start training and start outsourcing more things to your team? Can you implement a daily walk starting tomorrow? What can you do starting right now? Make a list of what you can do right now to ensure a lighter work week, to ensure a more productive work week. And then write a list of what you want to do for the future. Like, do you want to actually take Mondays and Fridays off? Is that something that you want to do? Do you want to stop working at, I don't know, 2 p.m., right? What are your big time goals? And then... Split that into, you know, 60 day goals, 90 day goals, and see how are you going to get there? How are you going to get your very own four hour work week? If you've enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already and leave us a review with your main takeaways from this episode. But thanks again for joining me today and I will catch you next time on the Marketing Mindset Podcast.